Hello and welcome to Rewind Design, a cottage country podcast. You have landed in season two of the podcast, which is very exciting because I have an amazing episode today. But if you're interested, season one was also a wonderful listen, I do have to say. Season one focused on interviewing Georgian Bay and Muskoka cottagers specifically about their cottage properties. So we talked a lot about how their cottage property has changed over time, how they ended up purchasing their cottage, how long they've had it for, how their cottage design has morphed and changed and weaved through time. Some of these stories I'll have you know are pretty wild. There's some things going on in Georgian Bay that you might be shocked about. I don't want to give anything away because I'd love for you to go back and listen to some episodes, but I've been shocked in my interview processes. I'll just, I'll leave it there. So I'd go back and listen to season one if you're interested in the history of the area and listening to really beautiful stories of how much cottagers love, love, love Georgian Bay and and Muskoka. On this week's episode, I'm very excited to launch the first episode of 2024. I took a little bit of a hiatus and I haven't posted anything for about a month and a half. And that is because I have some amazing news, very exciting news for me. I have left my official nine to five job doing design and I have officially launched Rewind Design Studio. (gasps) Ah! It feels so amazing to say out loud as it's been in the works for quite a while, but this podcast and referral clients have really allowed me to move forward with my own business, which is so, so And I am part of the Perry Sound Founders Award, which has also helped me launch my entrepreneurial spirit. So if this is your first episode you're listening to in season two, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Season two is a really special season for me because it all started when I was working on season one and I was noticing while I was boating all all around cottage country interviewing cottagers, I was really noticing the impact that cottaging and modern cottaging perhaps is having on our environment. Our beautiful ecological environment here is so special, especially the shorelines of Georgian Bay. And I started to wonder if there was maybe some building practices that we were using in our modern world that maybe we could challenge and talk about and see if there's better ways to build in terms of environmental sustainability. But as the season progressed, we started talking more and more about sustainability with so many guests on the show. And it's become quite an interesting debatable topic because sustainability can mean so many different things to so many different people. And there's so many different kinds of sustainability. So we're talking environmental sustainability, but also energy sustainability and economic sustainability and social sustainability. And all of these things are so important when we're talking about the overarching idea of sustainability. So season two is focusing on these topics. I'm trying to speak to as many people in the building industry as possible. So that includes architects, other interior designers, landscapers, engineers, all of the above. So it's been a super exciting experience and I've got lots of episodes piled up to share in the next few months. So please follow along and stay tuned. But 
on today's episode, we actually have John O'Connor from Basis Design Build, and he was referred to me as someone to speak to about building sustainably. So that's always a great connection, first of all. So in this episode, we speak to John about how he became an architect, how his career has morphed and changed over time. He has some pretty amazing stories about working abroad in Europe. We talk about how he purchased land on Georgian Bay and built his dream cottage with himself and his partner after years spent yachting around Georgian Bay being boaters and how boating life and cottage life are very different, but also both enjoyable. And we also talk about the design of his new cottage and how he used the landscape the best way possible. And there's some pretty neat features of his cottage that closely resemble yachting, which is pretty neat. And he'll talk in detail about that. Also, we speak about his fireplace, which if you go to the blog at rewinddesign.ca and look for John O'Connor, you'll see photos of the cottage. And he has this beautiful modern fireplace, but instead of grouted rock, there is sort of a shelving system, I'm not explaining this very well, but a shelving system with rocks on it above the fireplace. Go check out the photos, you'll understand. But the rocks have such an amazing story of how they got there. So stay tuned to listen to that. But that's all I'm going to say for now. And I just want to say thank you so much, John, for being on the show. I really appreciated our conversation and your career advice as well. just wanted to say thank you so much to John for being here today. Like I said, I'm just always looking for architects that are in line with my thinking and my ethos as a designer. So it's really nice to speak to others who thank have you. a Welcome. history. Thank you. So maybe you can just tell us, tell us and everyone where we are right now, and then we'll get into a little bit of questions about you. Okay. So we're at Cottage, our cottage that we built five years ago, and it's in tiny township northwest of Penetanguishing. And from the waterfront here, you look out over the south end of Beckwith Island, and you can see Giant's Tomb on the right and Christian Island on the left. So it's very different than the eastern shore of Georgian Bay. It's sort of bolder landscape, mm -hmm. same kind of rocks, but round, <laughs> and some beaches, and a formation called the Nipissing Ridge, which is, which is kind of an escarpment all the way along the edge. Yeah, where I drove in today. Yeah. Nice. So we're sitting just in his, I guess you would say, your main area here. Yeah. We'll talk more about the architecture later. But just so you guys know, that's where we are right now. But we'll just get into some questions for John just about himself as an architect and kind of how we got into the industry here. So where are you from and how long have you been working in the design industry? So I, I was born in Toronto. I grew up in the West End. Mm. I think I always wanted to be an architect. I think the earliest memory was construction, definitely drawing construction equipment. And yeah. and I, I did have a design sense. So I, I think I'd say age 10 onwards, I always thought I would be an architect. Were either of your parents into no. architecture or design? No. no. So it was fully, <laughs> fully you. Yeah, it was a new thing for yeah. our family. And I, after high school, so I went to the University of Waterloo, which was a two-stage education, five academic years. And it was a cooperative program, which was a great program because you got a lot of work experience. And there was an expression at the time, which people would say you go to Waterloo to learn how to go away. 
meaning it's there wasn't much about the university that was interesting. It was a lot of work. But you tr- you got to travel and work in different countries. So I worked in Vancouver with Arthur Erickson, worked in London, England as a student. As I got to fourth year, I actually took a year off because I had a great job in London. So I stayed an extra year. And I finished. So it took it took me seven years to finish university instead of six or whatever. I can't remember. And part of that program that was great was a program in Rome where we studied in Rome in fourth year. So I became very interested in Italy. I studied Italian a lot when I was in London and at university. I went to Venice on the way to Rome and I just was blown away by the city and the heritage and everything about it. And I said, I have to find a way to get back here. And I did. About two years later, I left my job in London and I went to stay at some friend's place, one of my Italian teachers. They had a house there. And I was going to go to Milan to work as a student, like four months before I did my thesis. But I met my friend Mara, who's an architect, and she said, well, why don't you come work with me part-time? And we just got along and it ended up being a full-time job. And then I worked. I came back to Toronto, finished, and I worked again with Arthur Erickson in Toronto for about three years after graduation. And at that point, I was just burnt out from working crazy hours and I wanted to travel. And so I left that job and I went back to Venice. <laughs> and then I just, it just ended up that I became a resident because they had an amnesty for foreigners at the time. So I really? became a resident. Yeah. And I stayed there about three years working with my friend Mara and also with an architect, Gino Valle, who's a famous Italian architect. Um, and we did a lot of really interesting projects in like Olivetti buildings and government headquarters in France and all kinds of really interesting jobs, big, large scale things. And at that point, I could have stayed there the rest of my life in one sense. But I think it was a frust. what I going back to construction is I always like to make things. I like to see things get done. Mm-hmm. And in Italy, they don't always get done. Like there's a lot of talk. so so i i thought you know if i'm going to start my own business i'd rather go back to canada where actually people do build things and execute the Mm -hmm. work and i came back worked with one of the senior associates from ericsson in transit mostly subway stations which was the first stations they were building after like 20 years any notable ones i would know um we we worked for years on downsview subway station that was the first that's the end of the then of the, it's the one to York, I can't remember, Spadina Line, I think it's called, that goes out northwest. So that was the first station that they had built after 20 or 25 years, since, since, since 1975, I think. And it was very interesting. It's very bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. And we also worked on the Shepherd Line. So we did Shepherd West mm-hmm. and another station, Bayview. And I, and I left the company at that point to start my own. And how old would you have been at that time? I was 30 when I was in Venice. So I would say it was like when I left, I left that company to start my own business. And I, I think I was, I, I don't know, I probably was 35, but I remember saying I have to do it you have if, to do if it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like, cause when, you know, things are going to happen and you're, you know, so, in the meantime, I had bought a house on Brunswick Avenue in Toronto, which was, that was 1996. And that was the Toronto real estate market was just, it was just the beginning of the, of it coming out of the recession. And I renovated it, did a, a lot of the work, evenings, weekends, and sold it for a huge profit in a year. And then I, I decided I, I didn't want to flip houses because I think it affects your integrity of, if you have to make money, 
make money from doing it. Yeah, you have to cut corners or whatever. So then I bought my house on Amelia Street and it was crazy when I think about it. But I basically bought this house. It was an old worker's cottage almost falling down. And I was starting my own business, which was completely insane when you think about it. I think I qualified for the mortgage like just as I left my job. Which is right. like totally stupid. Because you wouldn't have had income. Like, well, yeah, that, you, you have you, to work for yeah, what, like two years or something? Yeah, some track record with yeah. the bank. So that just was nuts when I think about it. But I also didn't borrow money to build the house. So as money came in, I would do things. And it took a little longer. But that house, basically, we still have a house. So it's a cottage at the front, which was my office. And there's a link of a kitchen and a tower behind where we live. So... That house is, so it's 23 years ago I finished that house. And we just had that on a Cabbage Town tour of homes. Oh, cool. Um, which I, This is quite interesting because they had 750 people came through the house in an afternoon, in four hours. And the one thing that really I was quite proud of, but I think it was, it definitely speaks to sustainability, is people could not believe that the house was built 23 years ago. Like they look at the furniture and they look at the things. They're all custom made or designed and thought out, but there's nothing that dates the house. I, I think good quality classic design is very sustainable and it's worth spending the money and the time to do something that you know in 20 years is going to look as good as it does now. 100%. Yeah, so, timeless, over trendy. Yeah. So that, that, that's just off topic a little. So at that point... As that house was being built, I started Basis Design Build and I started as a design build company because it's, if you even look at the logo, it's basically a design led building venture. So rather than a lot of high end contractors will call themselves design build, but it doesn't really mean doesn't really anything. mean the design. They have yeah, they, design. I mean, they <laughs> could get drawings for you or they could get somebody else. So this is more allows us to be on the construction site more have more control over the project and to be able to execute through the entire construction period, the design and ensure that everything is thought through. Sometimes when you start on a project with a client, there'll be wishes or wants or things or some spirit of the project that somebody wanted to try to capture. And it might have gotten kind of swallowed in the project and forgotten. But as you're building and as you're working, you can sometimes go back to those things and find a way to make those things become a reality it's a little abstract but it just allows you i think by having one team that goes through the project all the way mm -hmm. it, the client has a better sense of it's all under one roof really yeah. yeah yeah and then what type of services do you offer i'd say the company is project-based right so it really depends on what yeah so i i'm involved in every project we do i don't want to hire millions of people and have you know overheads we've gotten larger we've gotten smaller it, it'll fluctuate depending on what's going on and how complex the job is and how involved we are there are a lot of jobs where we start before they purchase the property we advise them on purchasing the property we, and like feasibilities yeah so we start from the very beginning and we go right through and we we do landscape design i mean we get people to help with planting design and other mm -hmm. specialized aspect of it but but you will carry through to, to all, all areas of the project. Yeah. Very cool. And you, you'll do, I saw on your website too, you'll do like interior design and millwork and lighting and that type of thing. Or yeah, I think, work? yes, we do always. Lighting is very important. Mm -hmm. um, mil, I, I believe millwork and cabinet work and 
anything is part of the environment that you're building. I find it weird when like an architect wouldn't design the cabinets because it's involved in it at least. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, I think, especially when it's any kind of open concept place, it's just weird. It's attached to the wall. It's like almost an extension of the building. So, I mean, I totally get that. And it's so functional too, at least to plan the layout and maybe the elevations. Yes. And then you say, okay, maybe we'll leave the finishing up to maybe the two designer or yeah, yeah. the mill worker or whoever but do early on because it involves plumbing and electrical and things so any millwork company will do their own drawings eventually well, but they, i mean they'll do their own shop drawings regardless yeah, yeah. so i mean you just sign off on those but yeah. at this moment in time do you have people do you have working for at the firm yeah what and we we would We'll outsource things like sometimes things like renderings or there are things that you don't need to have people in the office doing. So there's there's a lot of capability. A lot of our jobs start. Sometimes it's a financial thing where someone like building a cottage. It's like, am I going to do it this year? I'm going to do it next year. And it's a lot of money. So sometimes those projects sit around Mm -hmm. longer. You have to go through sometimes zoning changes or variances, environmental approvals, and they take time. So. I find in the city in Toronto, the projects go faster because people are paying taxes and they're closing their purchase. Primary residence, you 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 kind of have to get that done versus a cottage. This would be their, you know, secondary or third residence. And, you know, you can wait a little bit longer because it's not as urgent. So, so I always hope that they don't, all the projects don't collide at once, but we always make it work. Yeah. The staff you have working for you now, what would their roles be? They're like project managers. Yeah. So that people have their own project. Yeah. I try to do that from the beginning. I think the I think the earth, the beginning role would be like called project coordinator. I mean, project manager can mean anything really, but I feel that people should follow the job. So they're they're in touch with the client from day one, and the client builds a relationship with them. But I mean, it's rare that they would go to the site. We do a lot now. The pandemic helped a lot with. Just video calls and stuff mm-hmm. where you don't have to always be at the site. For sure. But they might go drive out to the site and then, you know, we follow up, have a phone call while they're there. But I'm definitely involved in everything. The pandemic did teach us a lot how to do things and do things well and not waste a lot of time. I also found that probably every business, though, is just sometimes you'll have like three meetings in a morning where it used to be kind of one at, you know, that's a lot to prepare for. It's a lot to download out of your head and execute after but it's just the pace of work it picked up but mm-hmm. it's really fine. and i think everyone's become more efficient as well like you've yeah. learned to have to be <laughs> yeah and you just kind of realize you can do so many things remotely <laughs> i found on our projects in cottage country or further out it's very useful that we have like a regular phone call with the client and like the lead contractor every week out Tuesday morning so people have time to get stuff ready for the meeting and they have time to execute and people have to answer mm-hmm. you know they have to if you had the conversation last week and four people and the work didn't you don't have the answer by the next week that's a problem yeah. right so it just makes the project move mm-hmm. right and it's sometimes a bit of a waste of time but I think I think those kind of meetings are very useful for especially us. if it's not on track <laughs> yeah you know yeah. but even if it's on track that's still a great tactic also remote cameras are amazing now because <laughs> our client in one in algonquin highlands put up two and it's like you don't even have to it's not that you're spying on the site but it's like 
you don't have to call the contractor and say, what did you do? Or what's next? Like, you just you know, see you what, see the cement truck, you're not going to bug him. Yeah. Because he's obviously pointing. And he knows it's there, right? The, the client. Oh, yeah. But the client knows what's going on. And then, I mean, they're just useful for a lot of security, mm-hmm. nosy neighbors, a lot of nosy neighbors, yep. probably. And also, you just, you understand the pace of work and you know that no one's been there for three days. So, you get anxious when it's like, what? Yeah, like, has, it, has it been raining? Yeah. So these things, those are good tools for cottage yeah. country. Yeah, what I was going to ask you, I guess, just jumping into cottage country and cottage design is, seems like you've done a lot of work in different cottage country areas, but can you just kind of describe which areas you've worked in and maybe where you're planning on working? We had done cottages before I built this house, but since building this house, a lot of work has come and a lot of people, I, I really believe that you you show people the lifestyle that you live and how you did it, and they totally understand, right? I think I felt like a bit of an outsider before because I never grew up in cottages. Okay. But, I mean, in in this, a residential job in the city, you know, there, there are things that people need, want, and it's pr- not a formula, but it's pretty straightforward what they're going to need in a house and how you're going to invest it. I think a lot of people here, they own properties for a long time. They tear down a house or they build another one. So they already have a fixed idea of how they're going to use the program of the house. Like, do they need a mudroom? Do they need screen porch? Do they need, do they need these other accessory buildings or the systems, generators? They know what they need, right? I think sometimes people think they know what they need. <laughs> and then when you show them a design and you, develop it they actually might change yeah right so so we have worked in caledon which is sort of cottage country i guess and muskoka georgian bay this area of georgian bay on cognizing so algonquin highlands and prince edward county it's a beautiful area it's a long drive but it's (laughs) it's just the wrong way yeah the wrong way (laughs) yeah um but they're they all offer different things so Mm mm-hmm no, for sure. And then would you say most of the jobs are are new builds? Almost all are new builds. Yeah, there was one we're doing close to here now, which is, I mean, we did go through the whole conversation of should we tear it down, but it was a house built in like 1998. Oh. It's a weird house. But it's very solid and it's very, and it, it's like, if you can take that and add on to it and transform it, you're keeping your costs way down yeah compared to just starting over so we did we did kind of back and forth a few times of whether that should happen and we looked at alternative ways to do it but it's just started construction now in the fall um and that one is so it's part old part new but most of the jobs are start over or there's nothing on the land Mm -hmm. yeah i i guess i'll just touch on that as i I don't think there's one solution that's right for everybody. But I do believe the building technology we have and what you can do that's building a new building, you can make it very sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it will be here 50 or 100 years from Mm -hmm. now, right? I mean, a lot of the little cottages on islands and stuff, like they were never intended to be four-season houses. But now... Now, I think just the building envelope and the, the sophistication of the systems we have, it's, I think it would be odd with the cost of waterfront property that people wouldn't build more mm-hmm. better 
plaza, not necessarily large, but yeah, I mean, to use the, like, because it's not worth having millions and millions of dollars worth of land and then having a house that's not worth it, right? So it's not a good investment. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted to touch touch upon for sustainability, just like what your thoughts were. And for me, it's, there's so many ways you can think about whether it's like the build, the building, the material, the energy, like all of that can be sustainable and it's in different ways. But it's like, if you're building something with the best possible materials, the best possible building science, all of that to withstand the longest amount of time, that in itself is the most sustainable option. Yeah. And also just maintenance costs or or you don't have to repaint things and Mm -hmm. cause potential environmental problems, Mm -hmm. cleaning, stuff like that. You know, in square footage, keeping it a little bit smaller is helpful too, especially if you have a budget, let's say, nothing is a million dollars, but let's say it's a million dollars, you know, you could build something smaller with incredible material, Mm -hmm. really good building science that will last you a hundred years, let's say, or -hmm. you could build something twice the size with terrible materials. Yeah. You know, so it's like, which, yeah, you cheap out on cheap out on getting square footage. So you have kind of a, yeah. Or you could have a really great design with a smaller square footage. That's just really functional. Yes. No, I agree. hundred percent. That's where I'm at. (laughs) But yeah, I wanted to ask you in terms of designing cottages, you also do a lot of design for residences in Toronto and other urban areas. So what would you say when you're coming at the forefront of the design for a cottage, what is different than if you're designing a principal residence? I guess I think the the principal residence in Toronto or a large city is really driven by the real estate market. I think people are making decisions that it, you know, I need to have so many bedrooms. If I can have a garage, it's going to, if I can have, you know, Whatever, all of these features, they all know they all have dollar values on them, right? At potential resale. And the fact is you are going to sell it. I think a cottage is different. Like, I don't know when my partner and I built this house, like we don't have a plan. Like I don't, like we'll die and I'll be, I don't know what's going to happen to it, but I'm just saying, so you, it's a really long term thing and you do think about, you know, cottages can be generational. You think of, well, you know, someone's going to get old there or they're going to be little kids there or all of these stages of life are going to happen so that the building has to be able to do all of that. It's also, I think cottages can be very aspirational and in a sense, it's a lifestyle. And I, I find it interesting because some people will do things that are quirky or weird or which is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. That they wouldn't do in their house. Yeah, they'll take a bit more of a risk, I feel like. Because yeah, they're and not it's like the most amazing places around when you go inside some cottages or because they're not necessarily designing it for complete resale like they are maybe in the city, like you said. Yeah. They're doing it for their design aesthetic, their love of the area, their generation. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. The I think some people like I wasn't a cottager growing up, so I didn't have, you know, I, I kind of saw what people had and I've been to cottages. And, but the thing I've learned the most having this place is, you know, you say summer, winter, it's the in between the seasons and it's all the nuances of the year that you don't ever really think about. Like you just really, you know, in November, it can be still and quiet and warm and sunny and I think you're so exposed up here compared to the city that you really, you really, 
interact differently with the place depending on the time of day and the time of year. And it's, it's not just four seasons. There's like, I don't even know how many. It's all the in-between parts. Of and it. the natural lighting changes so much. Like you were saying, I think in our first phone call, you said you actually do really like coming here in the winter, right? Because you get so much light yes. during the yeah. day because there's no leaves on the trees. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that whole seasonal affective disorder I get that is a problem, but there's also something really beautiful in the city too. Like in, in late January when it's I love white winter. and it's blue sky, like it's, you know, it's, there are a lot of really beautiful days. Yeah. And even this November, like we're recording in November, it's actually been a really nice November. Yeah, like it hasn't sure. been yeah. cold. It's barely rained. It's been really sunny. Okay. Even like today was gorgeous. Yeah. It's cold, but, and it's dark, like it's going to get dark soon, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but beautiful view so we can't complain oh and then so you you said that you didn't have like a family history of cottaging two questions one like where's your family lineage from like have your has your family been in canada for a long time yeah long very long, long time, time. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah we actually did the whole ancestry thing so okay we didn't, i know in fact near aurelia i went to see the farm that they it's one of those weird stories where someone called yeah. me who's like a fourth cousin and he has done all of this crazy research so i've i've gone to the farm i think a lot um, of people did this over covid yeah i did i did I, I couldn't get that far back but he he did he it because so. yeah. my family too is scottish McNabb. yeah so my dad's side is really like so many i don't even know how many generations canadian but then my mom's side her parents came from germany so okay. just like very classic yeah. european mix okay so that's interesting and then my other question was, before you built this cottage, you were spending a lot of time boating. Yes. So, so can you, yeah, can you talk about that? Yeah, so we did that. I met my partner. He had a boat, 36-foot boat. And then we just were completely hooked. And when was, on, how long ago would that be? This is like tw- 2001, right? Okay. Okay. And then we bought a, a larger Sea Ray in Detroit, brought it up from Detroit, and then, you know, sometimes I look back, I go, that's a crazy thing to do. But this is 2010. We bought an even larger Sea Ray in Boston. And it was like white collar repossession where people were just handing the keys in, basically. Um, so it was an amazing deal. And we had that one until 2017, 16, I guess. So we traveled all over Georgian Bay, every, I know, like every little cove and hidden place generally away from cottagers yeah but there are the most amazing places and it was it's a great life it's sustainable i don't know because you have like 16 weeks of the year maybe 12 good ones and you need to use the boat you need to get out there and enjoy it and i think it's not sustainable because people if they both aren't into it or especially when they have kids, it's really hard to get the whole family on the boat and go. And weren't you saying too, or maybe it was just, this was in the article, something like you would feel bad if you weren't spending every weekend on the boat, right? And you'd have 100%. to turn down other events yep. because you're like, no, 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 we only have 16 weekends. <laughs> I mean, it's probably like a summer cottage, but it's yeah. just, you, you know, and then you have to store, it's expensive, store it inside a building in the winter. Yeah. and you, But it's an unbelievable okay. lifestyle. You would dock it here in in Midland, Midland? yeah, and then there's a shed that it goes in yeah. heated in the winter. It's an um, unbelievable lifestyle. It's an unbelievable landscape. And, you're and I think I was, yeah, and I think I was just always gung ho, like a bit of a, 
ringleader of saying, oh, we're going to go find this place, go to that place. We would go on these crazy dinghy trips from 12 Mile Bay out to the Western Islands with six dinghies and like have a cookout and all of these things that were so much fun. And I, I felt that I was really going to miss that when we basically that boat was such a great investment that it held its value and we sold the boat and bought this land. Like it was actually amazing that it just happened because the prices of land changed since then. So I thought I was going to miss the spontaneity of boating. But I realize now that when you have a cottage, you have a community, you can make plans or you can just not make plans and you do what you feel like and people drop by and, you know, we've made friends up here mostly because of the pandemic, but I mean, I can't remember going to someone's house and just sitting around having coffee with them. But that's what happens at the cottage. Exactly. And it's amazing. I made great friends that way, right? So you just, I do like the spontaneous aspect because I find, you know, on the weekends you have to wind down a bit. And if you have all these appointments of social things you have to do, it's a bit of a drag, but a cottage allows you to hide. I also like this place because people don't know you're here, basically. (laughs) Like there's no visible sign, right, that you're here. So And. I was just noticing, do you guys usually, do you keep a dock here with a boat? So right now we have a ramp and a trailer. We have our dinghy that we used to, like a 50 horsepower Mm -hmm. Zodiac. But we're building this cove, you can see, and there'll be a dock on the right side of the boat. And here with this water, you'd have a boat lift. You have to, right? Because you always get the wind here. There are people that build these huge harbors. We're not going to do that. But so we started and there's a beach there. But right now, we just take it out. Don't leave it in. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And it's funny that, you know, I I think because you're here so much, but still June, like the water's still, May 24th is not what I remember May 24th being. It's still going to be quite cold. Oh, my God. I know. I know. And I have some Muskoka friends, you know, the lakes in Muskoka get so warm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've always been... Georgian Bay girl, I will say. And I love the cold water personally. I think it's good for you. It's good for your head. Yeah, yeah. And it's also just way more refreshing. I, <laughs> I mean, take maybe cold, clean water. Cold and cold clean. Cold and clean. Yeah, yeah, me too. Rather than warm and kind of murky. I wanted to ask you how you landed on this property. Oh, so that's interesting because we had traveled a lot and Remote parts like Northern Lake Huron, north of Manitoulin, North Channel, beautiful, beautiful places. And I just loved how remote it felt. So I could never really see myself. My partner's family had cottages in Woodland Beach, which is more like rows of houses, back streets, you know, like, and I just felt it would be like going to suburbia. And you're afraid of. Yeah. So, so you can't really replace the landscape you have on a boat because you can be just, you know, miles, no one. But we started to look at maybe buying a smaller boat and then buying a large acreage and building a house looking over Georgian Bay. And we actually found one that had most of the right things. But when I added it up and I saw just you're watching real estate listings and you're seeing these houses that people are building these large timber frame houses that aren't on the water and they just could not sell them, to be honest. Like I I couldn't see how they could sell it to even get back the value of what they put into the building, Mm -hmm. right? So I it was a financial decision. It's like I felt I had to be on the water to hold value of the property. So 
we came out here and saw one property a few doors down. It was for sale, a large frontage. It had an older house on it. So we would have had to renovate it and it wasn't that big on that. It also was a lot of money. And the house is built like right up against the property line. So eventually someone's going to build right beside you. Mm -hmm. Even though it felt remote, it wouldn't be. Anyway, so, and then we looked at our neighbor's house here was for sale. And we, yeah. And then we, this land was always here. And then, I I don't know, it just clicked. Rick and I, we we were in that house. We We weren't interested in the house, but it's a very cool house. It was good to see inside it. And we know the people have been in there since. But so we saw this land and we walked around and looked at it and i remember we drove down like halfway back to toronto like down nottawasaga bay to look at another property and we both said you know that's it and we drove all the way back again like and it was just this weird thing and it just happened it was in april we put in the offer a bit of a stink offer but she took the the vendor took took it so of course my partner thought he could Oh, we could have gotten it for $5,000 less no. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but she just took it because it had some weird thing. There's, it's a zoning issue, which was across the township, but I knew what to do. So we just, we arranged for a long closing and we covered all the costs of all of that, but it was a very long closing. So that's how we found it. But it was dense bush, very difficult to walk through, like completely scrub. I guess now we can start talking about this project. So you named this project Project 22. Yes. Was that? So this actually ties into what we just talked about. Yeah. So this is a long linear house. It's 108 feet long and it's 22 feet wide. The reason it's 22 feet wide is they're engineered joists and it was the maximum span of the type of floor system we want to use without having an intermediate wall downstairs. It's a cost issue. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, the idea of this house was just, I, I like to do something that's very simple, make a rule, strong rule, but then break it, right? Like make the rule and then make a hole in it, make a hole in the house, do, do things with it. So manipulate the simple idea. So the reason it's long and thin is there was a setback issue from the wa- the water, which you need to respect the average of your neighbors. And there's a right of a hydro right of way behind it. So if I actually was to just buy the lot, follow all of the requirements, I'd have to build my house behind the hydro, which would be weird, yeah. right? So that's why it took long longer to close. So did you do some sort of feasibility study before you purchased it to find out what you would want to do? I kind of knew what you or you just yeah. so so the linear form was kind of keeping it away from the water, and and I didn't want to look at the hydro line, so yeah. keeping it. You know, you wouldn't make a U-shaped house here because of these conditions, gotcha. right? So that was the idea. That so the form really came from the constraint. Yeah, yeah, that makes that's typical. I mean, yeah. the other part of it is, I guess, you know, our our boats were large and they had like guest bathroom, everything. Like, so you could, guests would feel very comfortable there, but we're just not big guest people in the sense that we're probably not great house guests <laughs> so i we just i just had this idea that the guests would be in another wing of the house right so that i believe on weekends people can just do what they want you can go have a nap you don't have to make any excuses yeah really do what you want yeah so you're not walking down the same corridor and i think most of our houses use that type of yeah strategy. the design the design of your, your firm yeah the, yeah the houses would always cottages as particular that people would want to have it kind of spread out like that so while we're talking about it can you maybe just visually describe 
the layout for the okay. listeners. We'll have maybe a plan, if possible, on the on the website to yeah. to show people. Yeah. To, to look at. So it's a long. It's a dark house. It's gray, which has actually a slightly green tinge to it. The woods down by the water here are mostly hemlock, some pine, but it's all almost all evergreen trees. So the color of the siding I really like because it does actually kind of blend with the trees. When I come down the driveway, it's a one-story house, but the main living space is on that level. And then there's a nine-foot ceiling basement, which faces the lake and it has walkouts from every room, the whole length. So it's a long, thin house with the bedroom at one end, the large living room, stair, kitchen, dining, and sitting area with the fireplace. And then there's a hole in the house that you can walk through the house, and that's an outdoor room. So it's open to the forest, roadside, and it will road towards the road and towards the lake. And across, I walked through that outdoor room. It was supposed to have screens on. It was supposed to be a screened room, but we didn't do it because there aren't many bugs here. And we actually used the interior of the house. There are large windows that open. So we, if there were bugs, we would eat in here. I'll find if we have a fire outside, there's almost no chance of having bugs around you so then across the outdoor room there's a guest room so the idea of that was we didn't want to build other outbuildings on the site so it's like the guests have a bunkie of their own so they technically walk outside to go to their room you can't hear them they can't hear you and just before i walk into the guest room there's a staircase that goes down to the lower level so they can go down that staircase walk through the big recreation room down the hallways and come up the other staircase so it is linked internally but i mean people have stayed here on christmas and just walked outside they don't it's care. a very they, short yeah commute. <laughs> 20 feet yeah and it's i i think that outdoor room for me coming from a boat was like the most important thing i i needed to have something that was i think when you live on a boat you are very in tune with the weather. And when it rains, there is not a lot you can do, right? So that that room is big and it's bigger than we need. We did have friends the first year. They came up and it was a terrible weekend. We actually took the furniture off the deck and brought furniture in, put a carpet down. So we had like a living room and dining room in there for that weekend. Oh, okay. Which was great because it was, you were outside, you're enjoying being in nature, but you're under this massive roof, right? So I think one other feature of this floor is we built the deck, a large deck off the front of the house, and it has kind of a carport underneath it. But I, we lowered it down. I just didn't want to look at it. So I don't want to be in the living room looking through furniture, especially in the winter, you see like snow on everything. And yeah. So it it's just kind of disappears from where you are. And then in the basement, there are two more Bedrooms, again, at each end with ensuite bathrooms and there's a recreation room, laundry, everything else. Can you talk a little bit about how boating design inspired some of the design elements in the cottage? Yeah, so I think it was kind of, I never thought I'd ever want to quit boating, but it is something the age out of financially, you just say, I can't afford to do this for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. It's a lot of money. But we, my partner and I both love boats and we've spent a lot of time in Bahamas with our friends and go to the Fort Lauderdale boat show and just like are fascinated by boats. So I felt that this house, like 
probably where you're sitting, you're looking towards the fireplace, but I, I felt like it's kind of like a yacht. It's like the glass out the sides. It's a long, thin thing, yeah. right? It has that, even though it's in a forest, it has a lot of those aspects. We did some things like pathway lighting through the house, low lights that are also good so they don't reflect in the windows. So when as it's getting darker, you don't see reflection of light everywhere. Staircases, we use a lot of stainless steel. Details of the staircase are not literally from a boat. They don't look nautical, but mm-hmm. they look like what you'd expect to find yeah. in a boat. Like I love the um Ipe decking stairs. Yeah, that yeah, so the staircases are both made of wood that you would expect to find. I love that. And then maybe we can talk just a little bit about some of the material elements that you chose for the cottage. Okay. So I built, started thinking about this house. I I think I was like 55 at the time and I did not want to maintain anything. Like I just, so the only piece of wood outside in this house is a handrail on the deck. And I was even going to oil it at first. And it's, it's oh, also it Ipe, yeah, above okay. the glass handrail. And I I thought I would oil it and it was like, no, just let it go silver. And that is the only piece of wood. So there's nothing to maintain. I mean, the windows need to be cleaned now. but <laughs> And, you know, you, the siding system, you can basically kind of, not even power wash it, just with the hose. You know, when there's pollen, you know, the pollen. Mat- and what material is So it's corrugated Vic West okay. metal it has yeah. a matte finish, so it's not shiny, mm-hmm. and it's put on horizontally. So that system we actually designed for a house we did before this. But the whole idea was there are battens that cover the seams, mm-hmm. and all of the fasteners are hidden, so yeah. you don't look at. Sometimes you'll see corrugated metal, but it looks very industrial. Because you can see all the fasteners. Yeah, yeah. so it, it was very conscious not to do that. It has a. I don't, Sounds Japanese, I don't know. It has this kind of aspect, very simple. Mm-hmm. So the outside was like zero maintenance and including the landscape, to be honest, I only planted native plants. Mm-hmm. There are some things that aren't, but I kept those really close to the house because mm-hmm. I don't want things spreading everywhere. So we did plant not some non-natives, like thyme, lawns, things that you don't have to take care of. Mm-hmm. The approach to gardening at a cottage, I think, should be different, easier. Yeah. <laughs> simplify your life, right? And then inside the house, so I felt just with the amount of glass, wanted to have heated floors, and I wanted to have the same floor that went through the house indoors and out, so I didn't want wood in the house. Mm -hmm. So we have porcelain two-foot-by-four-foot panels, and it's over a lightweight concrete, so they're heating tubes underneath, and the floor is heated, and the floor is heated through the whole house downstairs as well. And that's kept, so what we do is we do turn it down, it's kept lower and there's also a furnace which can if you want to boost the heat quickly it'll heat up but it rarely gets used so the porcelain was a big commitment in the basement we took it's polished concrete we colored it with taupe color sounds weird so it looks more like sand okay and then we had pea gravel put in and that was done up here and obviously (laughs) and then we had some guys that we used in Toronto and they came up and stayed in a hotel. But I wanted to do it so it wasn't all 100% the same. So they're, it kind of, they kind of ground more and less. So you will see it kind of looks like there are stones and then other, other parts it looks more like sand. But okay. it's slightly irregular. 
The downstairs is very simple. We did use Corsan walnut solid core doors, which again, it was stainless steel hardware, horizontal pulls, things that you would see on a boat. And it's very simple downstairs. Upstairs, so the center part of the house spent money on where we're sitting. So didn't want to have much drywall or surfaces. So it's all the porcelain goes up the wall to the level of the windows. The windows don't go right down to the floor only because you have to be careful how much window area you have in a house in terms of how much heat loss you have. Mm-hmm. And this this room has a lot of glass, whereas other parts of the house don't. So the ceiling, they're, they're Douglas fir trusses. I picked, it's a cross kind of pattern. What's really interesting is inside there, they're actually it's high rods. So those pegs you see are actually metal plates inside. And that is the part that's all engineered and designed. Okay. This five moonstone timber framing. And they did a great job. This was kind of a fluke because they had another large job they were doing, which is radio frequency, radio kiln dried. So they dry the wood. So if you look, there aren't, there aren't that many. Douglas fir will have what's called checking. You'll see cracks in it. Yeah. But there's very little on these. Yeah. We just lucked out. It was the same price. Yeah. So that has kind of an orangey color. They're oiled. And then the ceiling is, I mean, I don't really know. It was, it, I know they were Mennonites, but it was through a broker in Barrie. So if you basically go to somebody and they say, we can get this for you. And it ended up coming from Kitchener somewhere. Okay. So it's, it's almost a hundred percent clear pine, but it's rough sawn and it has a small V groove. That's a bit of a reference back to a boat that has, right? Like, so very small groove. Yeah. And it's, it's not really rough, but you know, you wouldn't put it on a wall or a floor, right? Mm-hmm. So it's stained gray. And what's interesting is pine will yellow, but the, it's actually going a little bit orange, mm-hmm. um, which actually ties in with the contrast to the green, greenish slate floor. And, and, and it works with the wood. Yeah. yeah. And then can you, I just wanted to highlight a little bit the lighting that you selected too, because I know that's a really important feature for company i feel like that's a big focus in your designs i love the kind of cove lighting detail you did in here can you just describe describe that yeah so i just the cove lighting is between the trusses at the joint of the ceiling to the walls it's just a really a silver matte aluminum powder coated like a wing it looks sort of like Mm -hmm. It's, it's just like a wedge and they're led lights whatever tape lights, yeah. most basic things. And they're, everything's on a dimmer here. Mm-hmm. One of those things is just to highlight the ceiling. It gives indirect lighting. Mm-hmm. And I think that in combination with the lights under the windows, it means you don't have the reflection. You have to be really careful when you have a glass house because at night you'll see soon it's dark, it's black in here. But you don't get the reflection of the lights on all the glass, right? I don't know if you've seen like two layers of glass you'll see the reflection going a hundred times right (laughs) drives me crazy but i mean you would see it from these island lights a little bit that it repeats so i you just have to be careful how you light things and i think you use light different amounts of light and different types of light different times of the day so yeah and then you also have some really nice details in the bedrooms where you have some kind of low lights kind of as pathway lighting and downstairs you have that as well kind of to light like wayfinding kind of yeah so some of them are very small 
fixtures and then the hall there's a we call it the bowling alley which is basically where i'm passing under the outdoor room it's a long, i love that yeah they're those clico bottles <laughs> are the like i wanted to get a ball that's the color of the clico but i think the dogs will destroy it so yeah yeah so those ones are just like they're large they're probably like seven inches home depot 30 bucks i like those but i wouldn't have done them everywhere because they're kind of uh, and they're just you know 12 inches off the floor so the hallway's lit Mm-hmm. And then you don't really have any overhead lighting, do you? There are, there are. So where we put recessed lighting, I only do it where there's going to be artwork. Gotcha. So I highlight. We had a lot of the paintings we actually bought through the Georgian Bayland Trust mm-hmm. auctions, and they're not all here right now because we did some things at home. But so we picked pieces and put them and lit them. So I go down the stairs and I, I see the painting and it, you know, it's enough to get around. But I don't put like a grid of pod lights everywhere. Yeah. And then the last thing in here I wanted to talk about was your stone wall. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a quirky thing. It has a nice story behind it. This area, you see a lot of this. So we're sort of near a place called Cedar Point. And these are old log cabins, cottages that they built on, on the beaches there. And they'll always have the little rocks put in to make the fireplace so they look like cocoa puffs all stuck together yeah like and rounded it, rocks yeah they're yeah. round you know like the size of your hand maybe because they're just everywhere you find thousands and thousands so i didn't think that was like something i wanted to do i found them a little not tacky but a bit you know whatever so i wanted to make a comment on it so we were fascinated by traveling around Georgia Bay and seeing all the rock and then coming here and finding all these boulders on the shore and every color, like jade, green, black, gold. They're ones that have, must be some kind of iron oxide that they they turn rust color and, and all of the typical colors of rock you see on the east side of Georgian Bay are here, but they're round or boulders. So we built this, again, it's like a powder-coated aluminum color structure with shelves on it that are actually like blades so they're like like the lighting balance it just has a little dent in it yeah we did it on the outdoor room fireplace and the indoor fireplace and on those shelves are these rocks so we started by collecting them around mostly here but you'd just be working outside you find a cool rock and then i had piles of them and we started doing that i think we had the photo shoots we had to go and get a ton of rocks and then that year it was my 60th birthday and my partner arranged this amazing party and he asked everyone to bring a rock. So, <clears throat> their neighbors that came that brought rocks, they, the rocks that they liked, people came from Lake Muskoka that they brought rocks that they found <laughs> on their walk that they liked. People came from Italy, people came from everywhere and they brought, so we wrote the names of the people on them. And I, I can't remember all of them, but I mean, if I go and look, I, I know who gave us the rock. So, they're not all gifts, but it, it just gave kind of an instant history to a place that was all new. Yeah. I love that. It's just like so sweet, but it also looks great. Yeah. And I just, I like your comments, you know, that it's reflective of the the local design and just in a different way. I love that. Yeah. I wanted to talk just a little bit about the passive heating and cooling principles that you used in the project. So you'd mentioned some like deep overhangs that shelter the interior from the summer sun. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I guess this is on any waterfront property. I think the fact is 
you're going to want to look at the view of the water, right? So you're not always going to look the right way. Yeah. So this property looks kind of north and west. So no matter what, you're already working against yourself yeah. in terms of that. But I, I also wanted afternoon sun in the winter. So we did glass to the forest, which is absolutely beautiful in the winter and off season. It's because, so pretty right now. Yeah. And then you you see a lot more when the there are some deciduous trees. So you see more now than you do in the summer. It's more like a wall in mm -hmm. the summer. But you get a lot of sunlight. The sunlight comes like halfway across the floor. Now. So, and that's definitely contributes to some passive yeah. heating. But I think the fact is you have to deal with the orientation you're given. It's not, you're not like you're going to make the house face the other way. It's a lot harder when you're dealing with a property on a lake because it's not like you're just in a farmer's field and you can orient it exactly how exactly. you want oh, yeah. it, right? Yeah. So it's a bit of a different context. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we're really fortunate to be able to see sunsets here. There are three weeks of the year when it's blinding in the kitchen. Like, but we've talked about and I will never do it, but it's fine. Like it's like it's like a half an hour of blinding something. Yeah. You'll never so, do what? Put, well, put blinds put blind. on. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Oh, you can talk about just quickly how these windows all open up. That's a really nice detail. Yeah. So these are they're twelve foot wide panels and not all of them, but the, the main ones. And so you can open up total on the lakeside of 16 feet across with one post. So that's such a screen, massive screens. And on the other side, eight feet. But you can open up. We could never open all the windows here. It's just too, it's too much. <laughs> so, but we do, there is air conditioning here. I think last year we put it on once. It is important for, I mean, for the building envelope and humidity, you have to be careful what mm -hmm. you do, right? You can't just... Like regulation. Yeah. So, but you really don't need air conditioning here. I think if you face south with this much glass, you'd need it, right? Yeah, for sure. And then I was going to ask you, was there any like innovative technologies that or concepts you used in this project that were really exciting or... I guess deciding to me, to me was interesting. We developed it from where we yeah. were. I, innovative i don't know like I, I had fun drawing the elevations and thinking it especially the lake side because yeah. the windows are kind of overlapping and shifting and there's a pattern but it's not a slave to symmet symmetry or anything right. right i think one technical detail which was in that fine home building article is just that outdoor room to make this floor go from inside the house to outside so there's no floor heating outside obviously but i have to slope the floor mm -hmm. from the center it slopes down so if any water did get in there it would run out gotcha so you can just hose the floor down but it's made up of a series of membranes so it's a roof membrane there's something called um, so it's made by the company schluter mm -hmm. troba mm -hmm. which is a thick kind of dimple membrane that allows if any water gets down there it allows it to drain out and then there's another, then there's lightweight concrete or normal concrete to make the slope. And then we have DITRA, which is the one used in bathrooms. Yeah. So th they're decoupling membranes mm -hmm. so that nothing will break or freeze or whatever. I just did a CEU so that was Sluder on <laughs> So, yeah, it was a lot of, that was a lot. And it was really hard to explain. No one had used. That is a lot of layers. <laughs> it's a lot of layers, but the tile setters are like, oh, I don't know about this. And yeah. all, everyone was afraid to do it. So did you, did you kind of have to be here on site when yeah. that was happening to make yeah. sure that it was. Yeah. So, I mean, this took a lot of time 
from my office too. Like I would be here and then like we'd drive from Toronto and get here at 8, 830 and then like leave, you know, leave and go back. But someone else from the office would come another day. Yeah. So there was a lot of up and down. It's what got the job done quick mm -hmm. for sure. I think there was a getting local trades on your timeline was not easy. Right. And that's, I, I don't want to trash any local trades, but I think that people sometimes when they're building a new build house, they don't realize how big the job is and people will travel. So, so we found, we started to look for people areas like Barrie mm -hmm. and even further south in Newmarket because those people would be useful to us in the city also. Like they will travel. So you could build right? a connection with them. Yeah. And it's just like you're not, you may not find the people or like just this floor. Like at the time, no one up here had done a floor with that size of tile. Like they they were all fr afraid of it. I want to say we talked to like 17 different tile setters. It was insane. In the end, the guys that did it were great. Guy from Barry yeah, did a good a job. Scale tile. <laughs> no, they, they, people were afraid of it, right? But who's so? So you can't make someone do something that they haven't done, and right? you kind of don't want them to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think also, you know, we tend to we use obviously a lot of local trades, but we also do bring people from the city for certain things because it's like a known quantity. They've done it before, and it's. Mm -hmm. I think timelines are important because. You know, this is a joke always about hunting season and don't look for someone after November 1st, et cetera, but. It's kind of true. <laughs> you know, but there is a rhythm and I think, you know, you have, and I can't say some of the jobs we have that people are amazing, right? Super organized, but it's just, I think you have to spread your wings a bit when you're building something that's custom made and look for different people with different skills, different places. They will travel. Yeah. And then how long did the process take, I guess, from start to finish? Like from when you purchased the property until when it was completed? Yeah, so we purchased, um, I think it closed August 1, and we, like the closing day, I was interviewing people with the road to build the road in and clear the lot. So we got a few prices on that. We had guys start, so in the fall, they were cutting the trees. Mm -hmm. They cleared the lot in a really rough way. Like, I mean, there were no trees, but it was, you know. So they, that was all done by October. And we shut it down and then we wanted to start right away in the spring, but realistically, I think it was like May 15th. So we started and things went, you know, something always goes wrong, but <laughs> I had to fire the framing crew. They drove me completely crazy, mm -hmm. but it happened. As you said, this place is conventionally framed with. It's, yeah. Yeah. It looks like a steel house, but it's, yeah. yeah. The timber trusses are real and they mm -hmm. do their structural job, but they sit on posts, right? right? Yeah. Wood, not steel. Mm -hmm. So then I think the first time we stayed here was the weekend before Easter of the next, next spring. And that was really, pretty, yeah. So it my partner wanted to have Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he was just like, he goes, and now he knows. He that sees seems people, so fast. He, see, he sees people building now and he goes, oh my God, I can't believe how fast that was. But we had a project, the project in Nova Scotia I was talking about. They started building in 2019 and just finished it. Really? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like I know there are houses up here. There's a spectacular house here, and it took them eight years to build it. But when you go in the house, you know why. Yeah. But anyways, this was efficient. Yes. So, we, I think the first weekend we stayed, there were no kitchen counters. But right. Easter weekend, like, we cooked in the oven. So, it was like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, that's like one year. Yeah. So, I mean, let's say, let's say not 100% finished. Yeah. 
then I'd come up here and work on weekends and or, or maybe come up on the Friday and work with the guys. And then it just got really a grind. So the that I stopped working during the summer. So I want to say maybe the fireplaces weren't installed, like casings weren't installed. Right. And then we just, it was just really hard to get people. So we just organized these days and it was like every two or three weeks we'd have a work day and most people from the office came. Plus we'd have like, I don't know, four carpenters plus some local people. And we'd have like 10 or 12 people here, but 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., right? And then do nothing for two weeks, right? And we did four of those days over the fall and it was 100% done. So Christmas, I remember Christmas that year, it was like there was nothing left to do. Wow. I mean, you still, yeah, I want to move art around and stuff, but it was right. all furnished and everything. Right, so. That is quick. That is yeah, good. Yeah. That is good yeah, timing. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. I feel like I don't have too many more questions for you, honestly. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or bring up about the design or the landscape? I think it's well, we we were talking about this a bit early, but I think the aspect of and maybe it was in one of those articles, the fine home building article about aging oh yeah, getting yes. older in a cottage, building yeah. a house for at that chapter of your life. I think I think that's a really interesting thing. And we have a lot of clients that have come to us at the same point. There, it's also at the point that people have the resources to yes. do it. But you definitely, I think cottage country, you definitely have to do a lot to make it easy to live in. I mean, I always thought of this place like you don't really have to go up and down the stairs. In fact, we often just walk out the front door and down. We have a driveway that goes around the lakeside too. Mm -hmm. So we just naturally walk that way. And that's a lot easier when you're older yeah, more gra like a gradual slope. Yeah, I think there are – it's pretty remote here in the winter. We have elderly neighbors that are here all the time. It, it feels remote. It's 15 minutes to like a little, little tiny town. Yeah, like to Midland or uh, – To La Fontaine. Yeah, because Midland would be like another – It's probably yeah, almost half an hour. Yeah. It's 25 minutes maybe. Yeah. But, you know, when I come here, I like – I stayed up here for a week. I don't even – I mean, I'll go in the boat somewhere, but I'm not going – like, I don't have a reason to go to town, right? This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's like a, a little remote place. But I think I think as you get older or thinking about as you're getting older, how are you going to be able to maximize the enjoyment? A lot of the things I thought about were there's that cottage country. I'm in the water. I'm jumping off the dock. I'm doing that. But, you know, I remember my grandparents, like, they would sit and look at things. You know what I mean? They were outside. They wouldn't necessarily go swimming. Yeah. So, I, I think you have to kind of think as, you know, you don't have to always – I think there's ways to enjoy the place and making it easy to use. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many ways to do that with the design for aging in place, just like keeping everything level. Like you could like yeah. live on this one floor pretty much. Yeah. And we do like between our bedroom and this big room, look, that's where we are. Yeah. It's, and, and because of that, that the heating system zone too. So you, you know, you keep the heat on minimal in the guest room. Right. So you're not heating the entire house all the time. The same. Exactly. I think another thing about, like, in a sense, getting older is having the heated floors is an amazing feeling. You just feel comfortable. A lot of older people get cold. I'm not, I'm not getting old fast, but I just feel I wanted to do something where I don't have to think of it. For sure. And I think that ties into, like, the low maintenance, like you said, everything. Yeah. Oh, what was the roof? That was the other thing I was going to The roof is, it's also by Vic West. It's this exact same material. So, it's a mat finish and it's so what we usually do it's a standing seam roof 
Mm-hmm. But some of those ones, they have kind of dimples or ridges yep. between that don't look as good. You have to be really careful. So I want, it almost looks like a custom made stainless oh, okay. steel roof, but it's not. I'll take a look. Yeah. So sometimes they, you'll see them. They have the standing scene, but they have these little bumps. Yes. And especially when they're shiny, they look a little ugly, if you ask me. But. <clears throat> no, I agree. <laughs> so this one has the standing seam and then it has, is it flat? Flat, yeah. Okay. I think it's 16 inches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole house is all the same color. Yeah. And you haven't had any issues with that? That's, that's probably the most sustainable yeah. thing. Well, I mean, it has, as the house goes up, it has a peel and stick membrane goes on the plywood roof. So that's a high heat membrane, blue, and that's on right away. So the house is dry. Right. So you actually have two layers. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Uh, The other things, like, so if you look on your way, uh, we built this big shroud. I call it a shroud, but it's a big uh, enclosure around the chimneys. Okay. So it's like a big gray box. It's custom colored and made and lifted on place with a crane. But that goes on top of the house just so you don't have those little silver things sticking out all over. Oh, okay. We also put – sorry, but the, it's back with the dog. It's okay. Uh, so we also put conduit up there for – I mean, if – it wasn't possible to put any kind of solar panel here because the forest is basically blocking the south light but if there's any technology we want anything we want to do in the yeah future. you have it open for, yeah. for future yeah. yeah for sure yeah unfortunately not facing the right way for that <laughs> yeah, yeah and so i guess you're on you're on hydro here then yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i know i've interviewed some people where they're you know so remote on georgian bay and then they their only option is to do solar or oh yeah propane, for sure for so. sure yeah, I think any house like this, you have to have a generator. Like, it's just you – it can happen, and it can happen fast. So, I think you have to have – So, you've got a generator. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. I The only other things that I have are my ending questions, and that's just kind of what are some exciting things that you've got coming up or future projects? So, with this project has kind of led to others, uh, and I was showing you – the development of an idea, how it changed, and they're totally different houses. But you it's take kind a of, lot of inspiration from this one, though. Yeah, so it's, you start with something. So we have one under construction, which is like three gables on a hill cottage for a family with three boys in Minden area. We finished a project in Prince Edward County, and I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite things to do. Is the clients asked us to come back? Meaning I have new clients that we're going to start on their waterfront property down there. And we're going to go visit the house that's finished. But I really love going back after six months to a year because I can, I think you just have the perspective. Whereas you, you've dealt with all the problems. You've dealt with all the hassle. Sometimes going to the site visits, it's just like, oh, another thing. Yeah. But you actually have time to just visit it as another person, which I love doing. As a um, guest. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. Um, so that. Yeah, so there are projects like that. Yeah, that's so fun. And then it's just so nice to see everything finished and like they're living in it and they've added their own personal touches. For sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll feel more like a lived in home by that point. It's interesting how people do live in their house. Like that one particular house, this couple had always had saunas on their different properties and we built the sauna. Yeah. Which is... Like, I mean, I remember once they said to me, it's like, are we the crazy people that put the sauna beside the front door? But it's this really cool thing. And it has a view college, to yeah. the west as the sun goes down away from the lake. But you, as the sun's going down in the winter, you can see the sunset from the sauna, which I just thought was a cool thing to, you know. But it's 
unconventional. Yeah. But it's, you know, so people have these needs and ideas that they would do that. I don't think many people in Toronto are going to build a song beside the front door. A bit of a different <laughs> privacy issue. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, hey, neighbor, <laughs> just yeah. getting in my sauna. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? Um, no, I'm I'm interested in what you're going to do. Are uh, you going to do next season on this? Do you have another mission? I don't have another mission yet. This one's still going strong. I'm still really excited about this yeah. season. So I'm still. I know I talked to you about some more topics that I'm pursuing, like more talking to the townships about what their yeah. what their plans are for for zoning and restrictions and that type of thing. So I think once I kind of speak to everyone that I have on my list to talk to, like I've I'm talking to architects, other designers, landscapers, builders, yeah, just to kind of get perspectives from everyone. Yeah, that's been really great. But then I think. I've also talked to someone from the Archipelago Township, but it'd be nice to talk to more townships as well. Yeah. That would be kind of the next phase. Maybe that could be its own season. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. This one's still going. No, it's like the regulatory bodies and what's happening. Like here in Tiny Township, it's 75 kilometers of waterfront, but they they now have this kind of moratorium on structures between the house and the water. Only because, say... High water years on the beaches, people were building stairs and all kinds of landscaping. And then the water would come up and just throw the stuff everywhere. Right. And so, like, then what's that doing? It's just being. Yeah. And then that becomes a public liability. Right? right. So they're, but every place is different, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably focus more on the archipelago and, and Georgian Bay Township because that's just where I oh. spend the most time. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's so many other townships and specifically Muskoka too would be good. To to talk about oh in Muskoka for so there's a lot of things that happen there. <laughs> like that just keep getting away I, with so much I life. went to a summer camp there worked at a summer camp in northern Lake Joseph okay Where, whereabouts uh, it's called Akon it's a Jesuit camp and it's the old Stanley House which was an old hotel oh. so Stanley House Road it's at yeah. it's, it is the old Stanley House that place used to be like it was like northern Georgian Bay northern Lake Joseph like it was just bush and we go on camping trips, and now when I go to see where we went, there's like, you know, like a 20,000-square-foot house there on top of the cliffs. There's houses on top of every bloody cliff, like places no one would ever go. But I was really surprised I went back there last year. I was, went to Northern Lake Rosso mm-hmm. for a, an island job, actually. Mm-hmm. The client bought the end of a peninsula and then bought the island in front. Mm-hmm. So that would be an interesting job also. Yeah. And I went back, I, I was early, so I went back to the camp, walked around, like, end of October. It was a beautiful day. But it was, I hadn't been there for, like, 40 years. But I was, it was so weird because things that you thought were really long distance. Like, I remember there was some test to swim to this peninsula. And then you go there, you go, that is nothing. Like, like compared to Georgian Bay, that's like, so, everything's so small. Same thing. It's still really beautiful there, but oh, yeah, yeah. the development has been kind of out of control, in my opinion. You know, it's just kind of yeah. crazy. So, I guess I'll just say thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming out here. It's a long drive. <laughs> no, but it's such a nice drive. So I, I love coming and seeing the different areas because I'd never really, I never really spend too much time here in the southern part of Georgian Bay. It's it's a funny area because it's like you're not driving through forests as much. You're driving no, through farms. No, you're farm driving through land. farms and then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden you land here and I'm like, oh, now we're back in the forests. Yeah. And like there's it's, uh, this area, there is tiny township, I think, t- is all basically cottages on the water, 75 kilometers of waterfront. 
there's no industry, just farming and that's it. Like yeah. there's nothing else here. Yeah. yeah. A and I little did, town. That was actually funny because I, I've, I've only been to like Midland very occasionally. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, I've never like driven down this peninsula. And I was surprised by how much was just farm country. But like you were saying with that window, when you're driving kind of towards whatever road is perpendicular to the lake, yeah, you really get like a clear shot of the lake and the mountains in behind. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of elevated because it's a bit yeah, yeah. hilly yeah. and yeah. those views were stunning. Yeah, yeah. And you were saying kind of that window you have in that stairwell. You yeah, like kind it, of there's, there's different turns you take on the way here and you just see the road, the cut through the trees and you see the blue water and maybe a piece of an island. So yeah. I wanted to kind of reproduce that in the hall. It's just there's this other huge hemlock tree that we kept that ends up lining up with it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of perfect though. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, I think we can shut down the interview for okay. now. But yeah, thank you so, so much for okay. like showing me around and okay. showing me all your details. No, it's been enjoyable. Thanks for coming. It's a great conversation. It's always fun to share things with other designers. So I just really appreciate you being so open. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode. I so appreciate every single listener that tunes in, every single reader that reads the blog, rewinddesign.ca. The best thing you can do for me to support me in this journey is to either follow along on Spotify, Apple Music, or whichever platform you listen to. Click that follow button. The second best thing you can do is share this podcast to your friends and family. If anyone you know might be interested, just forward this along to them and tell them to take a take a listen or take a peek at my website. And if you're interested in supporting me further, I also have a Patreon account where you can donate $5 a month to the podcast and a portion of that will also go to the Georgian Bay Land Trust, and that is patreon.com slash rewind design. No pressure to do any of that. I am just so happy if you're listening to this and if you love cottage country and Georgian Bay and Muskoka as much as I do. So thank you again so much and stay tuned for another episode. Mm-hmm.